We've been gone for five weeks, but some stories still stay the same. And now you're back in the winner's circle. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Did you miss the bikes, everybody? Did you miss them? They're back, and they were good. Welcome to episode 386 of Motorsport 101. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Ray Harrison. Glad you could join us. And after a five-week hiatus, MotoGP is back. We we almost missed them. It's kind of weird how like it's 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 not been the best season for us, and we were a little bit down going into this break about the state of play. And uh, hey. It was nice to get a reminder that this sport can still be really, really goddamn good, um, which which helps, certainly. But uh, yeah, MotoGP's British Grand Prix was this past weekend. Francesco Bagnaia pretty much in control all the way through. Late scare at the end from a, from a certain uh, pilot, which we'll get to later on in the show. Um, that was a nice surprise. And more title implications as well, as and all of that as well. And yeah, yeah. Um, also, some strange stuff regarding the attendance. We'll get to that um, to start off in a bit. But first of all, let's introduce the panel back uh, after a small break. Back is Cam Buckley. Hello, sir. Howdy, everyone. I have returned not just with regular bikes, but bonus bikes. Bonus bikes. We'll get to that very shortly as well. We've got some bonus bikes to talk about as well. Um, it, very, very briefly. And with me as ever, the impervious Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Oh, buddy, there's there's way too much. There was too much racing going on, and wow, it, it felt like a lot. <clears throat> uh, Super GT was back. Mm. Um, that that was fun. Uh, shout out to Sasha Fenestras, uh mm. getting his first GT500 win. Shout out to Rotoma Miata getting his first GT500 win. They won together. And it is and it is pretty ironic if you if you were keeping up with the latest Formula E rumors that Fenestraz uh, ended up having to beat a Nissan to get his first GT five hundred W since the hot rumor is that may be where he's heading next year to go drive some zip zap cars around. Mm. For his it, sake, I really hope the Nissans are good next year. If it happens, they've been they've been all right lately. Yeah, they've been a bit better. They've been a bit better. You know, can't complain. Uh, forgive us for not having the London Formula E episode. Not too much to talk about. We'll we'll put a neat little bow on the Formula E season next week for their season finale that's coming up later on this week in Seoul in South Korea. Also, fingers crossed and sending thoughts over there because I've seen some of the videos and pictures. Awful flooding going on over there in South yeah. Korea right now. Um, so my thoughts are with all of those out there. Hopefully, um, they, they can stay as safe as they can out there because I know it's it's not great out there. It's been a huge, huge amount of rainfall over there to say the least. Hopefully, everybody's okay or holding up as best they can. Um, but yeah, we had all like this is like one of the last really, really intense weeks of motorsport that we've got. It it, it, it actually winds down a little bit after we get to September, after the summer break in F1 as well, it's kind of funny because IndyCar finishes middle of September, you know, then we just got really, it's, just, it's the big two after that for the rest of the year. So it's, it's actually kind of strange how we're in this really, really busy block, but then things actually wind down into the autumn. It's kind of strange. I have to think about that for a minute. But uh, yeah, we, we do actually have some bonus spikes to talk about on this one because we, uh, we didn't think there was enough to justify a full episode on this, but we do love 
the Suzuki Ray hours on this show. It's that back. Is fucking right. For the first yes. time in three years, for the first time since the onset of the novel coronavirus pandemic, we're finally able to have a Suzuka eight hours endurance motorcycle race. Because here's the thing about us we love some EWC on this show. We don't oh, get yeah. to talk about much, but if there is one race on the calendar that we make room for, it's the Suzuka eight hours. I mean, come on. For me, it was because it was like the Suzuka eight hours arcade game that was always at the skating rink. And it was like oh, the no. one other thing you would play other than like NBA Jam and Skee-Ball. But it's back. And it, it was a fun race. Actually, me and Cam got to watch a little bit of it. And Dre, I think we caught you up on like all the proceedings of what happened. Yeah, all, all the key stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was such an awkward time slot for the Brits. It was like four in the morning, and I was just like, I had worked that day, so I was like, I, I really couldn't watch it, unfortunately. I had to make a business decision there, unfortunately. But uh, I did see the highlights. I have caught up with, with a lot of what happened. And uh, um, wow, um, do you think Honda was putting all their eggs in the basket for this one? Just, just throwing it out there. This I was their say, only engineering effort worth a damn out of the entire motorcycle division for racing this year. Worth it. It was so worth it. If you haven't heard, Team HRC, the factory squad, Takumi Takahashi, Tetsuda Nagashima, and Iker Lakwona win the 2022 Suzuka Eight Hours. They win it by a crushing margin. They took Jonathan Ray, the greatest superbike rider of our generation, if not ever, and they broke him. Over their knees like Bane. Nagashima got on that bike, and Jonathan Ray got on his bike. And he pulled 11 seconds in one stint over Jonathan Ray. Who does that? Nobody! (laughs) Like Jonathan oh Ray, he, he's, he's not having the greatest time of it in World Superbikes at the moment, but do not get it twisted. He is still the greatest superbike rider, quite possibly, that's ever walked this earth. And like, and he got flattened like a pancake. And like, holy shit. And as, as mentioned as well, this wasn't just any Kawasaki line. This was arguably the greatest lineup of talent Kawasaki has ever put together for yeah. Suzuka. They had Multiple Suzuka winner, Jonathan Ray. Multiple Suzuka winner, Leon Haslam. And they brought in Alex Lowe's, who has won this race, I think, three times with Yamaha. Like, That's right. Yeah. Formerly like, of the now uh, the now defunct Yamaha death lineup that won this race for so long that companies started building up entire lineups just to go toe-to-toe with them. Yeah, super fleets. Like, like the Yamaha was what, basically, when it was him and Vandermark together... Like it got to the point where it was like, like factories were developing super teams. That's why we got the Haslam Ray Razgatti Hoglu lineup a few years ago, which ultimately led to him leaving Kawasaki. Yeah, <laughs> Top Rack signed. I did not know that Top Rack signed his contract with Yamaha at Suzuka. Yeah, yeah he, he signed it in blood because he uh, they didn't put him on the bike. Yeah. At all. Yeah, yeah I, I remember that. I remember the messy finish to uh, the last iteration pre-pandemic. And now well, we're, we're still on a pandemic. Let's not get it twisted. No. But in this first race in the new normal, um, there was no mystery. There was no scandal. Team HRC just flat out dominated this yeah. race from start were, to finish. Were it not for the opening sequence of laps, 
they were, I believe they would have grand slammed an eight hour endurance race, which is just ridiculous when you think about that. And it was a fun first sequence of laps where you had stuff like Josh Hook taking the lead uh, in the whole shot, Yamaha bogging down, and then Nikola Canapa having a claws way all the way back just to get in the top three at the end of the first hour. Greg Black from the Suzuki Endurance team passing two bikes in a one spoon corner. Oh, sensational. Uh, mm. Especially because uh, spoon on a bike. Oh, it is. No. Uh, it is a corner to end all corners. Um, on a more uh, on a more somber note. Yeah. You do have to uh, give our well wishes to Gino Ray, who had a just mm. a hellacious accident um, at, unfortunately, that corner. If you're a bike fan at Suzuka, where um, fortunately we lost Jiro Kaito in 2003. We've mm. yet to hear any official report, but reports from uh, another rider there say Terry that. Reimer. Uh, Terry Reimer. Terry Reimer, that, yeah. That he is. It is at least non-life threatening, which is good because uh, great news. I, I did see the aftermath of the incident. It was, it was not good, and it didn't look good. So, if things are trending in the right direction, we certainly hope they are. Um, that is very good to hear. Uh, incredible! It, I couldn't imagine what the FCC TSR Honda France team were going through, uh, having to go out and race less than 24 hours later with a depleted lineup of just Josh Hook and Mike Demeglio. And, you know, fair play to Hook. He led the first couple of laps out there. And while they didn't win the race, they still got to finish. And that was pretty special in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, so, again, um, we're sending Gino our well wishes. We do Indeed. hope he pulls through. And again, congratulations to Takahashi, Nagashima, and Kona. Uh, that lineup, three riders that have been discarded in their old in their old lines of work, and they go out there and crush all comers at the eight hours. I mean, Just there was phenomenal. stages, especially with Nagashima, who this is his first big race since 2020. Uh, watching him go up through the S's on that that first stint that he was on the bike just spellbinding. Nagashima was dialed in all weekend. He set lap records in all stages of practice qualifying. How did this dude fall off the MotoGP ladder? I know he won a race, then he got hurt, and then he got dismissed, but like, how did he completely fall off the ladder? How is Takumi Takahashi, who we know is good around here, You're we know is good around, he can't buy a break overseas. And well, Iker Laquona... Well, KTM was looking to undo their decision to promote him like as soon as they brought him up. Ridiculous. And yet he's been very solid for Honda and their terrible, no good and very bad World Superbike team. Yeah. You know, maybe but, they fell off a MotoGP lineup because they don't want to go to Honda's atrocious, apocalyptic, incomprehensible MotoGP team. We can get into that shortly, but Dre, tell them where to find all the stuff that we do if they don't know it already. Indeed. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on, uh, in, on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. If you'd like to follow our personal handles, you can at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, and at CBuckley917. We're on Instagram at Motorsport 101 Pod. 
Um, you can also uh, check out our website, motorsport101.com, where all of our content lies, as well as our written content as well. There has been blogs of plenty by yours truly regarding that. Um, shout out to everybody that read the Ballad of Oscar Piastri last week. Apparently that went down very, very well with you guys. So thank you all very much for that. Um, reviews on, obviously, the British Grand Prix we're about to talk about now and IndyCar's Music City Grand Prix because... Uh, that was a spicy one. Uh, check out that one next episode. Um, but uh, all of that is on our website as well, including our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, you, you can back us financially on there as well. Some extra perks as well. Check that out. And a couple of people have been asking me about this. Are you guys on Spotify? Yes, we are. Just wanted to clarify that as well. Um, we are pretty much everywhere where good podcasts are at. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Stitcher, all of those good places um so yeah just just search motorsport 101 you can't miss this look look for the big purple logo um and whatnot so yeah cheers for that and uh yeah after this quick musical interlude uh let's let's talk about the british grand prix lads we're back to moto gp world championship racing it's been Mm. five weeks it was a long five weeks. We had uh, we had lots of narratives uh, about the sport in that time. We uh, we had some people behaving, uh, shall we say, not becoming of a uh, elite athlete in the top level of motorcycle racing. And on that bombshell, uh, Francesco Bagnaia staved off an early charge and crash from Johan Zarco. Pole sitter Johan Zarco. We thought this was going to be the week that he finally got it done. It was not. And then Sweet. he had to withhold Maverick Vinales. For Francesco Bagnaia to take his second win in a row in the closest ever top 10 in the sport. The second closest. Second closest. Yeah. Six point six seconds covering first through 10th. An even closer fare than the Dutch TT and Assen before the break. Great. Mm. Jamaica, Francesco Bagnaia's performance. I mean, here he is overcoming the adversity. Overcoming the odds. So heroic. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, how could you come back from a drink-driving man like that? What a guy. I mean, you know, what what an outstanding example of uh, triumph over adversity, difficulty, and strength to have a man who faced no formal punishment for terrible and selfish actions. What a guy. Um, Outstanding individual. Um, (laughs) Look. look, Tell us how you really feel. You don't want me to tell you how I really feel about it. I think it's complete hypocrisy from those of it within the sport. But hey, what do I know? Um, you know, drink driving generally isn't a big enough deal breaker for a lot of people in bike racing. Let's not forget this is a sport that had a doper on an active roster and the factory twerked for them repeatedly. This sport doesn't do ethics. And, uh, you know, like digging for them is like looking for a needle in a haystack while the barn is on fire. Um, that That's generally how I look at it. But um, look, Banyai was fantastic. He, he, he's done, he did exactly what he did at Assen. It, it never looked like he wasn't going to win until maybe the final two laps. Um, we had the late charge from Maverick Vinales right at the end. I mean... Pff, Fair play to Maverick. It looks like he's actually getting the hang of this shit on that on, on this Aprilia now. That's back-to-back podiums um, for the Spaniard. And, um, yeah, it was very, very strong. 
um, on in the last laps. I think he just, I think Cavic's fair to say, lost his composure a little bit at the end. Um, maybe tried a little bit too hard to try and get over Manyai in the final couple of laps, but um, this was a great race. Like this was a like we were rewatching the highlights before we started recording this, and there was actually a lot more overtaking and a lot more close running than I could remember, and that's only a good thing. For the um, first time in a hot minute as well, because we've been we've been hmm. very open about the lack of you know bike to bike racing this year between the ride height devices and all the aero, right, and the front tires. Hmm. Um, this race was good. We had legitimate on track action basically all the way from the front of the pack to the end. Yeah, it's why and... I fell in love with MotoGP. It's it's why I fell back in love with MotoGP. Yeah, I mean. I said 6.6 covering the top 10. If you And that's only really because Miguel Oliveira didn't get back to the leading group. The top nine was covered by 3.9 seconds. Like, that's how that's how ridiculously close this race was. If Miggy was with that group, it would have been the closest top 10 of all time, which was the racing we got in Qatar last year, where I think it was only 4.3 covering the top 10, which is just absolutely bonkers close. Um, to say the least. Um, no, this was this was a fantastic race, and like the sport needed this. It really needed this because, like I said, the mood was sour going into the summer break regarding this sport. It was not in a good place. We had bitched about Germany. We bitched about Banyaya. Like you know, people were drawing comparisons to World Superbikes over the summer break because they had their, their they had their British round at Donington during MotoGP summer break. And the narratives that were being constructed off the back of that race, it was like MotoGP, like after half a bad season, after a general decade of excellence and competition, the turn. Like, it, it was like, it was a U-turn visible from space. Like, like that, that's what it felt like. Like, seeing people say, oh, well, look, you know, MotoGP could learn from world superbikes. And I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> that's, not even, that's not even to say that the world superbike racing wasn't good, because by all accounts, it was. It was it's fantastic. But, oh, yeah. But they're... But and they do have a very compelling three weight title fight going on in the cells between Jonathan Ray, Avar Batista, Jot Brad Brasgadioglu. But the thing is, though, before then it was years of Jonathan, Jonathan Ray domination, and, and I can respect that. But they did have to play; they do they had to do a lot to get us to where they were to have three competitive riders battling it out for the championship every weekend. Yeah, like. By the time we got to like four Jonathan Ray titles in a row, they'd already completely. I mean, 2019, they completely butchered the format. We went to three rounds. We went to three. For those who don't know World Superbikes or don't follow World Superbikes as much as, as much as we do, um, in 2019, they changed the entire weekend format. They added a third race, and that was a Super Pole race. That Which Super wasn't Pole a race, race until yeah. it was. Yeah. Like when it first came around, it didn't actually count in the official record books as a win. Don't ask. Um, but what it did was it reversed the grid. So whoever was, whoever won race one would start ninth in the Super Pole race, and whoever finished, whoever started fourth, 
row two would become row one, and then row one would become row three. It, it was a bit confusing, but basically, whoever finished race one in fourth would start the Super Bowl race on pole. They thought that might make the field a bit more balanced, and all it really did was it just made Jonathan Ray and Chaz Davies even more dominant, because they were the only guys who was ultra-aggressive off the start yeah. line. All they did was start was stat pad Jonathan Ray's already ridiculous stats. Yeah, so then they thought we got to do we got to go one further. We're going to bring in BOP, balance of performance measures. They introduced rev limits, and it completely fucked up the championship. It crippled Kawasaki for a while. Ducati opened up with, with Bautista with a can of whoop ass, um, and. Then they took 250 revs out of the Ducati and it completely screwed their bike over. Then Bautista had to override it to compensate for that, and then it completely derailed his title campaign. And it Sports was a car mess. people, BOP is hard, it's a harder job to administer than you might think. Oh god, yeah. It, it, it completely butchered their championship. And ultimately, the point I was I was made, you know, and I made this point when I wrote about it on the website, was that MotoGP was a rare case of a sport where we didn't give a shit about the dominant side of it. Like, let me put me put up the blog right now, and I'll make the point right because I I describe this part as the true alien era, as we famously called it in MotoGP, two thousand and seven to two thousand and twelve. Right, oh seven was Casey Stoner's first world title. Right, twenty twelve was the last year before Mark Marquez. Okay, like. The, the winning margins of these championships were 125, 93, 45, 138, 90, and 18 points. There were blowouts. Apart from 2012, there were all blowouts, but no one cared because the four best bike riders in the world, Rossi, Lorenzo, Stoner, and Pedrosa, were the ones fighting each other every week. And we loved it. So I don't understand how it got to this point where everyone looks, where people were briefly looking at World Superbikes like it was the new bastion of entertainment when World Superbikes literally blew their entire sport open with similar measures, if anything, even more extreme measures of what MotoGP was doing to make its sport more competitive. So I think it's a, I think people are talking from a bowl of hypocrisy regarding this because... World Superbikes had to do so much shit to get to this point. Like, it, it, it's, it's crazy. <sighs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> I say, I say, can we come out? Can we come out now? The, can we put down the blast doors? Just, just bomb. About. Just about. I mean, this is just how I feel about it. I feel like it was just using one stick to beat the other didn't work. And it was nice to get a reminder that this sport can still absolutely rock. And this was a great, probably the best MotoGP race I've watched all year. And, you know, I'm glad we, I'm glad we got it because it came at a good time. First race back. And in fact, we're not talking about it so much, but the entire weekend was awesome. Like the Moto2 race was incredible. Um, with Augusto Fernandez oh, yeah. winning that over Alonso Lopez, a, fight, a penultimate corner pass for the win um, in that one. Moto3 was the usual batshit bonkers race, you know, big title implications there uh, with Dennis Foggia winning, and it was usual Moto3 organized chaos. This like, Silverstone is just one of the best 
it's, it's it's a top three MotoGP round on the calendar now at this point. It consistently produces bangers. It's a fantastic equalizer. It really is. And I mean, Cam, I, I think it's up there with Assen and Philip Island as the big three now, surely. I would say so. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a good track in that it kind of it, it suits different aspects of different bikes. So mm. no matter how you make your lap time, unless you're Honda, in which you don't make lap time, um, <laughs> you can have some kind of good weekend there. Mm. Um, and we saw that. I mean, we had we had the Aprilias, Ducatis, and well, at least one Yamaha, pretty much all up at the front, yeah. all doing their thing. Um. I mean, it's a really great track when the race doesn't get canceled, huh? Right. Yeah. <laughs> tra- tra- we, did, we didn't have some dodgy tarmac job this time. That, that, that's that's useful, generally speaking. Um, yeah, like, this was, this was great. This was a great race. You know, Alex Rins was in there. You know, Maverick Vinales was up <laughs> Alex there. Rins with the if I die, I die strategy of butchering his tires to get the lead for five laps. I've got Fuck nothing it. to lose. What is Suzuki going to do? Fire me? they're already quitting they're already quitting yeah Rins who uh, of course was announced as an LCR Honda rider good luck with that bud he pulled the ripcord he pulled yeah. the record. We also got the official word: Suzuki is actually definitely quitting at the end of the year. So they and, were able- and it's and in endurance racing too. That was the SERT's last Suzuka eight hours we just talked about. Yeah, yeah. sad times, sad times indeed. And but- uh, I want to give another shout out to, uh, and I know this will be Kevin Walsh's favorite part of the show, Alicia Spargaro had oh. just the, a horrible crash early on in the weekend. And as we found out, broke his ankle. Yeah. Broke his heel. He's been told since this race, as of today, you're not touching this foot for a week. Like, you know, like he's like, he got lucky. He got very lucky. If he does, he'll need surgery. It will end his season. Yeah. He got very lucky in that um, it's a break that doesn't require surgery. If it required surgery, his season is toast, basically. And it would this season would turn into a nice long game of how does Bagnaia fuck up trying to chase Fabio Quattararo's insurmountable lead down, um, basically. Um, he climbed on that bike an hour later and claimed sixth place in qualifying. He broke the lap record when he crossed the line. <sighs> yeah. Which didn't ultimately mean much because six men went under the old lap record in that qualifying session. I mean, do you remember when Mark Marquez was doing two minute laps, or it was the first man to break? Two Everyone minutes? was gushing over it. Now that's child's play. Now that's we're race do- pace. We're doing fifty sevens round here we're doing now. Fifty nines in the race. Yeah, it's crazy. Like these, these bikes are still probably a little bit too fast for racing sake at this point. But Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, could you ma- could you imagine if uh, all the riders had confidence in all their tires at this point? God. Yeah, yeah. Imagine if they were on good tires. I mean, and not yeah. only that, like he ended up ninth in the race, only one position off of Quadraro. And yeah, you could say opportunity lost to do some damage in the championship. But the fact that he raced as all, uh, the fact that he raced at all is very impressive. Yeah, like look, crashes happen in this sport. Yeah, it's it's, it's an inevitable part of these people doing it and look i try to 
air down on the hero worship vibes that MotoGP gives off regarding riding through pain and injury. Mark Marquez kind of changed my perspective on a lot of that shit. But what Aspargaro did this weekend was superhuman. That was ridiculous. It was a season-saving performance. Um, and he's, he's, had, he's had to have two of them in the last two races coming off the back of Assen just to stay in range. Like, it's 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 great. Like, Alasia Spargaro is going through every sports movie with the happy ending at the end, like, as we speak. <laughs> like, he's going to have the heroic comeback now to win it in the final round, like every sports movie you've ever seen, um, which is just funny. But, um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's incredible Matt, what Alicia's doing. And yeah, like, hey, if you've got Maverick Vinales coming through as a second rear gunner, that's only going to help in the grand scheme of things. Um, just throwing that out there. Like, a, a pretty uh, are now looking like quite possibly the best team in the sport. Remember, uh, at one point, nobody wanted to get on a, a factory Aprilia. And it's they the were. Re- they were on concessions. They, they only just got off concessions. Joe yes. Roberts turned them down, let alone Andrea DeVizioso, who's going to retire after Misano. Uh, and he's going to retire in like the worst form he's ever been in on a satellite Yamaha that's not up to stuff. But he could have had an Aprilia. But how are we supposed to know that Aprilia was going to get this good at last? I tried to tell y'all preseason. Hey, they could they could sneak a win or two. Yeah. We played it down. Still, we we, we underestimated this. Like this, Aprilia is now contending every weekend with both their riders. Like, they, like this is this is dreamland for Aprilia. Have you seen how happy that team is when they're celebrating now? Like, they are jumping up and down, giddy that they have climbed the mountaintop and are now genuinely, arguably the best team in MotoGP. Now, they tank guessed- for picks. They tanked for picks and they actually rebuilt properly. Take yes. that, 76ers. God, get out of my head. Well, Trey, um, mm. obviously we've talked about how great this race was, and surely that reflects in the turnout. Everybody has packed the grandstands at Silverstone, which always sells out the Formula 1 British Grand Prix, except mm. no, only 41,000 showed up on race day. We barely cracked a hundred grand for the weekend. This is the third lowest turnover of the year behind Magello and LaSalle, which again, LaSalle already has very limited grandstands. This was the yeah. lowest Silverstone weekend turnover ever by a good 15,000 fans. So Dre, are we any closer to figuring out what's causing MotoGP's turnout problems without was... saying the name of a certain GT world challenge Europe driver? <laughs> I, this is this look, this is fascinating to keep tabs on because honestly, I almost spat out my my great flavored Fanta as I was watching this race live when I saw um, Simon Patterson from uh, the Hyphen tweet out that uh, the, the the race going turnout was only forty one thousand. I was like, you fucking what? Um, and apparently reports were not good i.e apparently three quarters of the crowd went home after the moto gp race and didn't even bother sticking around for moto 2 which sad um that's not ideal um this is startling like silverstone for moto gp has never pulled formula one numbers like they don't open up all the seats because they've never had the demand for it but even like a half dozen years ago, they were pulling around 80,000. 
They're at 41. Like half. Like where did half of the crowd go? Literally. Like it's it's startling seeing this and and what makes it doubly confusing is that this is not an every weekend problem. This is like from what and Cam can correct me if I'm wrong on this. This is happening in arguably MotoGP's three biggest markets, Spain, Italy, and the UK. Like, because we, we talked yeah. at length about Mugello. Catalonia wasn't great. Catalonia, I think, was only 60,000. Like, f- and that's, that's Catalonia. That's MotoGP's arguably flagship round. Like, they had to build more grandstands in that place when Fernando Alonso was dominating F1. Like, they can take 130-plus thousand easy. Right, and they're only pulling 60. Like, it's it's very strange, because on top of that as well, France and Germany had fantastic turnouts. France got 105,000 um, when they had their race back in May. France loves Fabio Cordoraro. They love their bikes in general. They, they were doing this when Johan Zarco was challenging for wins at Tech 3. Like, they there was a hundred thousand that weekend too. They consistently get a hundred thousand in on race day every year without fail. They sell out. Like Germany, we had earlier this year before the break record attendance two hundred and thirty two thousand over the weekend. I think it was ninety thousand on race day. So Germany booming with popularity. They had their first race with fans in three years and they loved it. Packed house at the Saxon Ring. Record attendance. Silverstone. No one. Yeah, visibly, visibly depleted stands. Yeah. They had Luffield out there. They had block seats that weren't getting picked up or used. Startling. I've never seen Silverstone so quiet for a MotoGP race. And this is like one of these rounds where it's a sea of yellow. And maybe that's part of the problem because there was still a lot of yellow in the stands. Do not get me wrong. But, you know, no Valley. No Marquez, the two most popular guys in the sport right now. You know, those that are could hard be a draws fact. to make. Those are yeah. hard. You've draws lost. To make you've up. lost your two flagships. Yeah, um, simultaneously. Yeah, I mean, I also wanted to mention, you know, like I was, I was, people were quick to say, "Well, is it expensive?" Like I actually had a friend of the show, Adam Sturgeon, down there. He actually paid to go to this race with his dad, and it was like. 115 quid for the weekend which still pricey for biking but that doesn't explain how the f1 race gets 140,000 every year without fail like the brdc literally said this year there was unprecedented demand for for f1 tickets for, for silverstone this year they sold out in like 16 hours like and those tickets are anywhere from two to five times more expensive. So the demand is clearly there. The money is there. I mean, I, I mean, yes, we are in the middle of a cost of living crisis in the UK, but people will spend money for a premium product in this country still. There's no doubt about that. So I can't say it's the economy. I can't say that motorsport is down in the UK because it's never been better right now. Like, I don't understand. Like, what's getting lost in translation here? That's what I'm trying to sit down and figure out. I I, I talked about the fact it might be 
the TV audience. That could be a problem because for those guys outside of the UK who don't know, Murdo GP used to be on free to air until 2014. A lot of sports used to be on free air TV, and then mm. they weren't. <laughs> yeah, like Murdo GP used to be on BBC Two every week. You'd get a million viewers per race, which is good numbers. Like let's be, like ratio and proportion wise, it would be like five million people watching an IndyCar race every week. Which trust me, IndyCar would die for right about now. <laughs> like, oh yeah, you're like. So to get a million viewers per episode, like or per race, is, is the, the sport would jump through hoops to get that now, right? Yeah, like it went to be. No, sport. you just don't see those numbers at this point. No, and MotoGP got bought by BT Sport. The rights got bought out by BT Sport. And look, look, I've been critical of their boys club vibes for quite some time. Their overall coverage is very good. You get. Everything you could ever want. BBC, it was just the main MotoGP race. That was it. BE Sport, you get everything. Every practice session, every warm-up, all three classes, bonus content. They used to have a friggin' studio pundit TV show. I went to it. I was in the crowd one time. MotoGP tonight. I met John McGuinness, James Toesland. Good people. Lovely guys. Hell yeah. Like, you know... like. They seem to do, they they look BT Sport absolutely do give a shit about MotoGP and I'm not disputing that for a minute, but no one watches it on it. I think it gets less than two hundred thousand viewers per race. Like, is that a factor? Is is it that you know? I don't know. Is it the fact that Silverstone doesn't market the Grand Prix enough? But again, apparently they I got this from people on Twitter that a lot of the time they spam the shit out of people's emails about it. So I don't think it's that either. Like, if, if nothing else, what I don't feel like it is a lack of advertisement, no. a lack of uh, a lack of knowledge around what's going on. Um, no. it, for me, it's really tough to say because it, it feels like on a, at least on a, a, an individual Grand Prix level, they're taking all the right boxes as far as getting that knowledge out into people's heads. Yeah, right. And they just aren't coming. It's it, it's very confusing at this point. Like I said, I I think there's a lot of little factors that are coming in, but I don't know what about Silverstone is making this so undesirable. It's a fantastic venue. The facilities generally are very good. Like yeah. you know, like it's they're they're actually going to the F1 layout next year. Um, so you know, proper facilities, the media will get even better coverage next year because they're gonna be they're gonna be using the proper mainline new grandstand facilities that are there when they change the layout. Like I don't get why fans aren't prepared to pay for this. Like Adam made a great point. I talked to him about it on Twitter and he said, Dre, you could make it a free turnout and I don't think you'd get hundred and ten thousand people. And I'm just sitting no. there going, Well does that mean there's less than like a hundred thousand hardcore bike fans in this country that aren't prepared to go to Silverstone for the best motorbike, best motorbike yeah. series in the world? And we talked about this, not just a Silverstone thing. Like, no, absolutely. They, not. Like, Spain's having trouble, Italy's having trouble, and they got people. I don't think it's just because of the fact that we don't have like a, an elite championship contending British rider on the grid, right? And then that is a, that might be a factor 
as well because let's not I, mean, I think it's a I, piece of it I think it certainly could be a factor I mean RJ's right we have no Brit in MotoGP we won't have one only briefly when Cal Crutchlow will fill in for Dovi after there's still retired. time for John McPhee <laughs> no there isn't you uh, stop that the next next british moto gp top class race winner is probably somebody that's like not even in the ladder yet no and there is no screams in america there there is there is no british prospect that i could reasonably say has a chance of making moto gp in the next five years you look at the names sam lowe's has been and gone jake dixon is good but he's not great um, Scott Ogden is riding for a mediocre Moto3 team, and even then, he's only a lower-level point scorer at the moment at best. Josh Watley, I'm not sure, is good enough at this level. Um, I know he's a rookie and only 16, but, you know, of course I pull for my fellow brother. He's the only one we got in MotoGP these days, but I'm not entirely convinced he's of that sort of level. Um, and then... It's the superbike riders that, are, that have already established themselves, like Jonathan Ray and and Scott Redding. And They're not going to switch. No, the, the, you know that no. that goose is cooked. So, and the days of BSB actually getting their foot in the door isn't what it was three or four years ago when their lineups were genuinely stacked with dudes like Josh Brooks and Jake Dixon. Ironically, I mean, Dre, we Leon. talked about it during the Suzuka Eight Hours that. Mm. You know the the production based path to MotoGP is basically dead. It's it, yeah, it, it's finished. It's finished because MotoGP team bosses don't take that line seriously. They they nope. stopped doing so half a decade ago. Jonathan Ray was the greatest world superbike rider of all time. He never got offered a factory deal, and Van Man backed backed that up because I talked to him about it on Twitter a few months back. Apparently, it was a top tier satellite team. He didn't say which one, but when Jonathan Ray, who is absolutely destroying world superbikes in his prime, can only get satellite deals, we're done. We're cooked. It's not happening. You know, so it's it, it's it's more British talent going the other way than it is them coming up the MotoGP Grand Prix ladder. So that might be a factor as well. So, like, there's a lot of little factors for me that I think are contributing towards this. I think the fact that sports on a premium channel does not help. I mean, there is a reason Dorna keeps flipping partial rights to free-to-wear channels. They know you're not growing on a premium channel. Trust us when we say Formula One is the only form of motorsport that can consistently get away with putting their shit behind a paywall. And even though their attendance dips a little, I mean, has it really? No, they're in a boom period right now in terms of buzz about the sport right now. And that's despite the fact that most of its big markets have gone to pay-per-view in the last half decade. China, Germany, France, the UK was one of the first, America, etc. You know, so like when you're doing that with all what is already a niche sport in this country and you've put it behind a £25 a month TV channel in BT Sport, you're asking fans to cough up a lot of money to follow this sport properly. You're not going to grow it by doing that. You need to nurture this baby, not put it behind a really expensive paywall. I get why paywalls exist. I get why it needs to be done, and I get why sports 
and sports leagues are protecting their bags. Completely understandable. But you're not going to get fans this way. That, that, that's how I look at it anyway. But And I think that will translate to venues. Like, 41,000, guys. 41,000 for one of your flagship rounds is a cry for help. Down from uh, down from nearly 80. That's crazy. Where did half the people go? Yeah. It's, I, 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 I compared it once to pro wrestling where, and I don't like quoting this man's name because he's a dick, but Mark Madden wrote a great piece about this back in the day. Pittsburgh I know. sports legend. I know. I know. Exactly. Sure. Yeah, but even he has to, like, even he made a valid point when he said, during the peak of the Monday Night Wars, when Raw was doing sixes in the TV ratings and WCW topped out at eight, there was 15 million people in the US watching pro wrestling every week. Now it's less than four. Where did all those people go? And I'm starting to wonder if if, if MotoGP is going the same way in a post-Rossi world. That concerns me, like, more than anything else. But, uh... Oof. It's what I to, again. I will keep tabs on this because like I said I don't think this is a a sport wide problem, but I think the established regions are struggling, and I don't mm. entirely know why. And it's it's it's. I want to keep. I, I spoke to David Emmett about this as well, and he said the same thing. Next year will be the true test. If this trends in the same direction, there's going to be concerns, but. We'll have to wait and see. Because we are getting another year further into pushing our way through a pandemic that's still there, even though sometimes we pretend it's not here, even though people mm. with sense will tell you that it still is. But that's another time. Trey, where is MotoGP heading in two weeks' time? Austria. We're going to the Red Bull Ring. The new and, I say in inverted commas, improved Red Bull Ring, because they've slapped a chicane in the middle of it. Yay, I guess. But uh, oh, Hopefully will... a safety improvement. Uh, yes. I was about to say, because like, I'm optimistic that this cures one of the issues. They still haven't cured all of it, but it's a start. It's certainly a start. It's certainly a start. That'll be in two weeks' time over at the Red Bull Ring in Austria. Um, should be another very competitive round indeed, looking forward. And Austria, low-key, when it's not trying to maim its riders, one of the better rounds we go to on the year on year now. So oh certainly God. one to Remember keep. Remember when Brad Binder won on slicks? Oh, God, one of the best MotoGP races ever. Um, yeah, looking forward to some of that. Again, next episode for us as well will be uh, our, our car episode on the Music City Grand Prix in Nashville. Spice, drama, a plenty, and Scott Dixon with all that, what we Brits would call a smash and grab on that one. You know where you can find us YouTube, Facebook, uh, Motorsport 101, motorsport101.com, our website, Twitter, motorsport underscore 101, at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at CBuckley917, uh, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Until then, I've been Dre Harrison, and sorry to end on a somber note, but, you know, we care about this shit. Uh, They've been RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. Until next time, sayonara. Uh, Later, y'all. Give me more bikes. More bonus bikes. (laughs) We need more than four rounds for the EWC next year. Don't they do in Malaysia soon? I think so. Sick. <laughs>